Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Tatiana Fortune, who is the Executive Director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. Pretty well kept secret here in the Collier County area. Also, Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Studies at the uh, Cato Institute, and Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is October the 22nd, and on this day in 1962, in a televised speech of extraordinary gravity, President John F. Kennedy announced that the U.S. spy planes have discovered Soviet missile bases in Cuba. These missile sites, under construction but nearly completion, house medium-range missiles capable of striking a number of major cities in the United States, including Washington, D.C., Kennedy announced that he was ordering a naval quarantine of Cuba to prevent Soviet ships from transporting any more offensive weapons to the island and explained that the United States would not tolerate the existence of the missile sites currently in place. The president made it clear that America would not stop short of military action to end what he called a clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace. What is known as the Cuban Cuban Missile Crisis actually began on October the 14th, 1962, the day that the U.S. intelligence personnel analyzing U-2 spy plane data discovered the Soviets were building medium-range missile sites in Cuba. The next day, President Kennedy secretly convened an emergency meeting of his senior military, political, and diplomatic advisors to discuss the ominous threat. The group became known as XCOM, short for Executive Committee. After rejecting a surgical airstrike against the missile sites, XCOM decided on a naval quarantine and demanded that the bases be dismantled and missiles removed. On the night of October the 22nd, Kennedy went on national television to announce his decision. During the next six days, the crisis escalated to bring it uh, to a breaking point as the world tottered on the brink of nuclear war between the two superpowers. <clears throat> On October the 23rd, the quarantine of Cuba began, but Kennedy decided to give Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev more time to consider the U.S. action by pulling the quarantine back 500 miles. On October the 24th, Soviet ships en route to Cuba capable of carrying military cargoes appeared to have slowed down, altered, or reversed their course as they approached the quarantine, with the exception of one ship, a tanker, Bucharest. As the rest's request of more than 40 non-aligned nations, U.S. Secretary of State Uthant sent private appeals to Kennedy and Khrushchev urging that their governments refrain from any action that may aggravate the situation to bring it to the risk of war. At the direction of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, U.S. military forces went to DEFCON 2, the highest military alert ever reached in a post-war era as military commanders prepared for full-scale war with the Soviet Union. On October the 25th, the aircraft carrier U.S. Essex and the destroyer USS Gearing attempted to intercept the Soviet tanker Bucharest as it crossed over the U.S. quarantine of Cuba. The Soviet ship failed to cooperate, but the U.S. Navy restrained itself from forcibly seizing the ship, deeming it unlikely the tanker was carrying offensive weapons. 
On October the 26th, Kennedy learned that uh, work on the missile bases was proceeding without interruption, and XCOM considered authorizing a U.S. invasion of Cuba. The next day, the Soviets transmitted a proposal for ending the crisis. The missile's bases would be removed in exchange for a U.S. pledge not to invade Cuba. The next day, however, Khrushchev upped the ante by publicly calling out for the dismantling of U.S. missile bases in Turkey under pressure from Soviet military commanders, while Kennedy and his uh, crisis advisors debated this dangerous turn in negotiations, a U-2 spy plane was shot down over Cuba and its pilot, Major Rudolph Anderson, was killed. To the dismay of the Pentagon, Kennedy forbid a military retaliation unless any more surveillance planes were fired on over Cuba. To defuse the worsening crisis, Kennedy and his advisors agreed to dismantle the U.S. uh, missile sites in Turkey, but at a later date, in order to prevent the protest of Turkey, a key NATO member. On October the 28th, Khrushchev announced his uh, government's intent to dismantle and remove Soviet weapons in Cuba. With the airing of the public message on Radio Moscow, the U.S. confirmed its willingness to proceed with the solution secretly proposed by the Americans the day before. In the afternoon, Soviet technicians began dismantling the missile sites, and the world stepped back from the brink of nuclear war. The Cuban Missile Crisis was effectively over. In November, Kennedy called off the blockade, and by the end of the year, all defensive missiles had been left Cuba. Soon after, the United States quietly removed its missiles from Turkey. The Cuban Missile Crisis seemed at the time a clear victory for the United States, but Cuba emerged from the episode with a much greater sense of security. The removal of antiquated Jupiter missiles from Turkey had no detrimental effect on U.S. nuclear strategy. But the Cuban Missile Crisis convinced a humiliated USSR to commence a massive nuclear buildup. In the 70s, the Soviet Union reached nuclear parity with the United States and built intercontinental missiles capable of striking any city in the United States. A succession of U.S. administrations honored Kennedy's pledge not to invade Cuba, and relations with the Communist island situated just 80 miles from Florida remained a thorn in the side of U.S. foreign policy for more than 50 years. In 2015, officials from both nations announced the formal normalization of relations between U.S. and Cuba, which included the easing of travel restrictions and opening of embassies and diplomatic missions in both countries. Meanwhile, uh, Cuba is not doing well at all. Again, another Soviet or communist experiment that has uh, both failed in so many ways, including financially for the people of Cuba. What a few days, what a lot of danger back in 62 when Kennedy made these decisions. Thank God it didn't end up in nuclear war. <clears throat> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Thursday announced he's calling the Florida legislature back for a special session to address intrusive vaccine mandates and create protections for Floridians who risk losing their jobs. He stressed an individual's right to earn a living should not be contingent upon COVID shots. We're to, uh, to announce we need to take action to protect Florida jobs, he said. We have a situation now, unfortunately, in our country where we have a federal government that is very much trying to use the heavy-handed government to force a lot of these injections, he said, emphasizing his administration's fundamental belief that people should have basic medical freedom and individual choice. Ultimately, an individual's right to earn a living should not be contingent upon COVID shots, he said. And so that's what we need. DeSantis noted that the uh, state worked hard to provide vaccines to elderly and those who wanted them, but said they made it clear from day one they would make them available for all but mandate the shots for none. 
But now, particularly with the Biden administration's forthcoming OSHA rule, jobs remain in jeopardy, although DeSantis said the administration will contest the rule. There are many mandates that potentially could have devastating effects on the state of Florida. One is the federal contractor mandate, he said, putting thousands and thousands of jobs in jeopardy, noting that there's a lot of contractors in Florida, particularly in space and defense. These workers are facing getting kicked to the curb. Meanwhile, companies are in a situation where they just don't comply. They would lose out on getting any contracts, which is the basic way we do business, and it's, so it's really, really a bad situation, he said. So the Attorney General and I, we're working on it now. We want to cont- uh, contest the contractor mandate in court as well, he said. DeSantis is making so many good decisions. We're just so pleased with his leadership. From my point of view, I realize some are not. Uh, they would like the governor to uh, have mask mandates, vaccine passports, all kinds of things. But this is, I think, just maintaining our individual freedom and trusting Floridians to make good decisions with regard to their health, uh, their health, the health of their family, and the health of others. By the way, businesses are reporting that vaccine mandates are contributing to labor problems, the Federal Reserve said. Central Bank said that the recent economic uh, growth has been modest to moderate, and its so-called Beige Book Report, a collection of business anecdotes from each of the regional Federal Reserve banks and a summation of the current nationwide economic environment, the report, which was released on Wednesday, also acknowledged that worldwide, nationwide labor shortages and cited vaccine mandates as one of the factors contributing to the difficulty that employers are having in finding work. About 3% of the labor force, or 4.3 million workers, quit their jobs in August, a record high that goes in tandem with a little over 10.4 million jobs openings the same month. Now, why do you suppose these people left the labor force? Do you think it had anything to do with the mask or the uh, vaccine mandates? I certainly do. And so it's throwing our economy in turmoil. This is just bad policy, Mr. President, and you need to do away with it. COVID vaccines may keep you from acquiring full immunity even if you are infected and recover. This according to Alex Berenson, he wrote on October the 21st. Don't take it from me. I even get I don't even get to tweet it anymore, he said. Of course, he's been cut off from Twitter. Taken from a little place I call the British government, Berenson reports, which admitted today it's the newest vaccine surveillance report that N antibody levels appear to be lower in people who acquire infection following two doses of the vaccination. What does this mean? Several things, all bad. We know the vaccines do not stop infection or transmission of the virus. In fact, the report shows elsewhere that vaccinated adults are now being infected at a much higher rate than the unvaccinated. So what the British are saying is they're now finding the vaccine interferes with your body's innate ability to, uh, after infection to produce antibodies against not just the spike protein but other pieces of the virus. Specifically, vaccinated people don't seem to be producing antibodies uh, for the protein, the shell of the virus, which are a crucial part of the response to unvaccinated people. Hmm. Aside from that, everything is fine, according to Alex Barron. So just be aware. We may be lining up for uh, booster shots every six months, the way this, uh, based on this report. Alex Berenson, uh, I really appreciate his commentary. He writes great, yeah, he does great work. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website 
johnsonsairconditioning.com also brought to you by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net coming up william yateman research fellow at the cato institute that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the bob harden broadcasting network I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful and also putting on great productions. You can get tickets now by visiting Gulf Shore Playhouse. Org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Tatiana Fortune. She's the director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Terrific, a very robust website. So, William, uh, we've been talking about the infrastructure saga for months, weeks, <laughs> for a long time now. Well, I don't know what everybody's so concerned about. It's not going to cost anything, according to Joe Biden. <laughs> Maybe you can bring us up to date what's going on. 
You bet. Uh, just to set the table, as always, uh, briefly, there's a $1.2 trillion uh, physical infrastructure bill, and that's supported by uh, bipartisan support, supported by uh, moderates within the Democratic Caucus. Then there's this multi-trillion dollar human infrastructure bill um, that's Democrat only and supported primarily by progressives. Um, and there's a bit of infighting in the Democrat Party to the extent that moderates don't want to spend any more than the $1.2 trillion, and progressives don't want to spend any less than multiple trillions of dollars. So mm. those are mutually exclusive positions. Um, to give you an idea of how fraught these, the, the internecine conflict has been amongst Democrats, reportedly this week Joe Manchin considered leaving the party and becoming a or I guess a, a, a caucusing with the Republicans as an independent um, but the big news on I guess uh, the, the the infrastructure the human infrastructure bill this week um, was really uh, uh, the 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 arrival of Senema uh, Senator Senema Arizona Senator um, uh, in the midst of these negotiations in effect she torpedoed the revenue-raising components of this multi-trillion-dollar plan. I mean, I should, I should note here, initially it was a $3.5 trillion human infrastructure plan. The top-line figure has since been whittled down to $1.9 trillion. It was to have been paid for by increases uh, to the corporate tax rate and also um, to, to, uh, the, the, the highest uh, 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 the highest bracket for individuals. However, again, this week, Cinema basically nixed both of those ideas for revenue, which, I mean, this is pretty late in the game for a fundamental change in how this multi-trillion dollar bill would be funded. Yeah. Um, as an alternative, <clears throat> uh, uh, evidently the White House has floated capital gains taxes on billionaires um, and also an alternative minimum tax for corporations uh, in addition to deficit spending. So. Uh, the cinema the monkey wrench with respect to revenue raising would probably be the biggest development this week. Um, the sides are still far apart. The situation is still highly fluid um, as to how what, what programs get cut out with this human infrastructure bill as it goes from $3.5 trillion to $1.9 trillion, the top-line number where it currently resides. Um, that is still very fluid, um, and, and a lot of infighting going on over that. So it, it is uh, uh, the overall picture is one of uh, uh, alas not much clarity and uh, you know at, at this point um, I'm not as cautious as I was in prior calls that everything could fall apart mm -hmm. unfortunately um, there has been everyone seems to be optimistic all Democratic Party leaders mm -hmm. from the president to the House Speaker to the Senate Majority Leader that progress is being made and that uh, makes me uncomfortable. It should, although I have to say, Cinema must be listening to her constituents. <laughs> you know, maybe she's one of the few up there that's actually paying attention to what people think and feel about not yeah, yeah. wanting to see taxes raised. I mean, the whole thing, I doubt seriously this has public support. In fact, I think polling demonstrates it does not have support. So uh, how serious do you think Manchin is about uh, <clears throat> Uh, changing parties. I know he's uh, expressed concerns about the climate uh, component of the uh, of the bill. Well, I mean, ask me in a couple weeks after after you know more intense negotiations. Right. Um, evidently, as reported by I believe it was Politico, he had a quote cathartic 
blowout with Senator Bernie Sanders on Wednesday. And, and again, it was uh, uh, after that, the, the progress which has since been made, which upsets me somewhat um, as an opponent of all these trillions of dollars worth of spending. Um, so I'm not sure as to whether or not that was a negotiating tactic. I'm not sure exactly what was at play there. I will 100% agree with you that, that the public cannot be on uh, on support or in support of uh, this this measure, the, this spending, um, it, for the very least, just because we don't have any tangible text. I mean, every again, for j- just three days ago, the revenue for this multi-trillion-dollar bill, which which had been pretty much set in stone for months, um, changed overnight. Yeah. Um, so that gives you an indication of again just how unsettled this situation is, and you really can't, um, there's nothing to grasp with which to judge yet. I mean, that that's how fluid the situation is behind closed doors on Capitol Hill. Well, of course, the uh, the Democrat states uh, have tend to have the highest uh, property taxes, and uh, now they've been cut substantially, and now this uh, SALT tax apparently is uh, something that's still in negotiation. Indeed. So that's a huge, uh, so, uh, between the moderates and the progressives, uh, that is a huge bone of contention, one of many. Um, and you set forth exactly this salt tax. Well, it primarily benefits millionaires. So that is, of course, anathema to the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. They, they of course, want no, uh, they do not want to reinstate this benefit to millionaires and billionaires. Um, however, for the representatives from these high property tax states, this is an absolute red line. Um, uh, you know that they will not. It's non-negotiable. Let me put it that way for the small mm-hmm. subset. So, uh, at this point, um, Biden. We've had intimations both ways from both ways from both sides regarding the ultimate fate um, of this particular tax provision. Uh, what it does, it goes to so, goes to show you just how rife. The, the the Democratic Party is with internecine conflict as of this moment. I mean, moderates and progressives, there are multiple major issues between the two of them that are, frankly, mutually exclusive at this point. And, and notwithstanding my earlier note of, of pessimism regarding the prospects um, of this bill coming to fruition, it is that intra-party conflict that gives me somewhat hope that all of this will fall apart. I'm having an attack of Schadenfreude. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a pleasant feeling. So, uh, which Schadenfreude, of course, is taking pleasure in other people's pain, and that's exactly what I'm experiencing for the fraud, the uh, strident affairs on Capitol Hill. So, before I let you go, uh, Steve Bannon is being referred to the Justice Department for prosecution for contempt of not showing up for uh, testifying in front of Congress. Any thoughts? I'll note here, I'm a bit torn on the one hand. I wholeheartedly support Congress's institutional power here. I mean, I think our our legislature ought to have the plenary power to investigate. On the other hand, um, I do, you know, I don't think it's necessarily healthy for this country, nor do I think it's um, great politics for uh, uh, what they're investigating. I mean, uh, I'm not sure whether or not, evidently they're looking for a headquarters behind the the travesty that occurred on January 6th. And it just, I, I, to me, that seems more like spontaneous buffoonery, outrageous behavior, yeah. um, disgraceful behavior. But I just don't know if there was a, if it was centrally planned at some sort of headquarters, which is apparently what they're 
on spending taxpayer yeah. resources investigating. Yeah, p- clearly a political attack. I, Bannon doesn't seem too concerned about it. But uh, in any event, hey, William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. And again, Cato.org is the website. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is the Director of uh, Health Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. I hope you'll check it out by visiting the website, choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies, Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Hey, you wrote a paper just released yesterday, I believe, Would Medicare for All Mean Quality for All? Kind of has me scratching my head while you were even asking the question. Maybe you can tell us about it. So this is something that hasn't really penetrated public consciousness yet, but it's something that researchers have known about for a long time, which is that the Medicare program, it expands access to care for many seniors, but it also has a negative impact on the quality of health care that all seniors receive. Hmm. The Medicare program discourages many types of quality improvement 
by paying more for low-quality care and paying less when providers take the steps necessary to improve the quality of care for seniors. Hmm. And uh, I, I can give an example. You know, there are lots of examples of this, but one of them is Intermountain Healthcare is a large health system out west. They came up with a pneumonia treatment, uh, uh, some, some clinical guidelines and treatment protocols for pneumonia that reduced pneumonia severity and mortality. They saved lives by treating the pneumonia patients better, but because that resulted in fewer hospitalizations and uh, less intensive use of healthcare services, the Medicare program paid them less, and so they had a hard time keeping that program open. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of examples of other quality improvement programs that health systems have had to shutter because Medicare paid them less when they saved lives than when they were letting more people die. And this happens with regard to pneumonia, with heart failure, with all sorts of services, but it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at uh, other, if we had an open market with competition between different ways of organizing the delivery of medicine, paying healthcare providers, we would would have more examples of what happened at uh, what the former Group Health Cooperative Health System in Puget Sound. Uh, what Group Health did was they found a better way of treating diabetes. They helped people control their blood sugar. Uh, they reduced the use of services because they uh, emphasized preventive care. And they saved about $1,000 per diabetic patient per year. Hmm. And, and instead of, whereas Medicare would have punished that by paying the health system less, Group Health Cooperative operated on a different uh, uh, set of payment rules. And so they were able to profit from keeping diabetic patients healthier and out of the hospital. But we don't have competition from those sorts of payment systems, and Medicare is a big reason for that. And so Medicare ends up having this crushing negative impact on the quality of care. So I would take it that uh, apparently this Puget uh, outfit in uh, Washington State uh, didn't take Medicare. They uh, created their own system. Well, this is a this is a program for uh, for uh, all diabetic patients, not just Medicare patients. Ah. And so uh, they did not operate on uh, under Medicare's payment rules when they were implementing this program. And, and Group Health is no longer there; it's now Kaiser Permanente of uh, of Washington State. But but Kaiser operates under these rules as well. And it's not that one is better than the other. Because any way of paying for healthcare is going to have some perverse incentives. Healthcare is just really—it's too complicated to pay solely for for value. What we need, if we're going to promote all dimensions of healthcare quality, is competition between different ways of paying doctors and hospitals and so forth. Medicare doesn't do that very well. Medi- the traditional Medicare imposes—it's the largest healthcare in the world. And it imposes a single set of payment rules that has all sorts of perverse incentives. Uh, researchers who have, who have studied the Medicare program, these are nonpartisan researchers at the uh, at Congressionally Chartered Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, which advises Congress on how to run the Medicare program. They have said, hey, look, Medicare pays more when doctors injure people. There's actually a financial reward in there yeah. and a and uh, the flip side of that is when doctors try to take steps 
to reduce medical errors and reduce misdiagnoses and so forth, Medicare pays them less. It creates a huge disincentive for them to invest in the sort of uh, uh, discovery of new processes and uh, new uh, 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 higher quality ways of uh, treating people. And uh, so I'm, I must it, say it discourages <clears throat> them from investing in that and then, and then pays them less if they do invest in it and improve quality. So I'm, I'm in agreement. I think it'd be great if we could have co- competitive uh, ways of paying for health care. I think that would be great. Unfortunately, don't you kind of sign up for a, uh, a system, and once you sign up for the system, you're kind of stuck with it, at least until the next enrollment period. And if you're in Medicare, don't Medicare providers have to uh, go by their system? You don't have a choice, do you? So, yeah, Medicare imposes all sorts of rules on the on the providers who participate in the program, but there is a way to improve the quality of care for all seniors, and it would probably improve the quality of care for people who aren't even in Medicare, mm. and that is to give seniors genuine choice. And the way to do that is with, some, with an idea that's a traditionally democratic idea. That is the idea of a public option. That idea says that the government can have a health insurance plan that competes with private insurance companies, but as long as it's on a level playing field where the government's not showing any favoritism toward either the government plan or the private insurers. And if we apply those principles to the Medicare program and the Medicare Advantage program, then what we would have to do is uh, give seniors, eliminate all the favoritism toward traditional Medicare, traditional mm-hmm. fee-for-service Medicare, and the, the favoritism toward the private Medicare Advantage plans, because there is some of that. And... Uh, to get rid of all of that favoritism, what we have to do is give enrollees uh, their Medicare subsidy in the form of cash, yeah. like Social Security does, and trust them to spend it. And when we do that, not only will they make better decisions and force providers to compete on price in a way they just don't when the government is paying, but that would also level the playing field for all sorts of ways of paying for health care and all sorts of quality improvement initiatives so that we would get better care as well as less expensive care. And also tailor-made care. Basically, you could get a plan based on what your needs are. I tell you, I'm on board, Michael. <laughs> Sign me up. So, again, if for our listeners that would be interested in taking a look at this study, would Medicare for All mean quality for all? It's uh, published in the Quinnipiac Health Law Journal. Mike, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining It'll us. It'll be coming out in the Quinnipiac Health Law Journal next year. Right now, it's on the SSRN.com website. Or you can find it going through the Cato blog. Very good. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. Cato uh, blog is, again, Cato.org. All right, coming up, Tatiana Fortune. She is the director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. 
Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Tatiana Fortune. She is the director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. So happy to be here. Oh, my pleasure indeed, Tati. I have a, you know, a sense that the Golden Gate Senior Center is one of the best-kept secrets in Collier County. Maybe you could tell us about it. What's it all about? Sure. So Collier Senior Resources is a nonprofit organization that um, oversees and operates the Golden Gate Senior Center. Uh, the organization was founded in 2010 by the Community Foundation of Collier County and the Women's Philanthropic Network to help meet the needs of the low-income seniors in our area. And uh, since 2014, the Golden Gate Senior Center has been operating uh, with Collier County um, facilities. We operate out of the library, the old Golden Gate Library. And there we uh, provide a hot lunch program. We have... Um, food pantry available through our Meals of Hope, as well as a variety of fellowship enrichment and um, recreational activities and services that we provide. And we could not do this without our community collaborations, uh, as I mentioned, with Collier County Hot Lunch uh, Senior Services Program, the facilities department, the library, as well as uh, a wide host of other organizations. Yeah, it's so so important and so needed. In fact, one of the major problems for uh, the health of seniors, as I understand it, is that growing isolation, people getting isolated and uh, not having the interaction and contact with others can lead to de deteriorating health and uh, mental and uh, spiritual well-being. Oh, yes. Um, isolation and loneliness are major, major issues that a senior face. And uh, we saw that especially during COVID. And uh, for us to combat 
socialization and loneliness, we actually have a program, uh, which is the Upslide program. And Upslide stands for Utilizing and Promoting Social Engagement for Loneliness, Isolation, and Depression in the Elderly. And that is for us to help address the growing needs that you mentioned, Bob, depression, isolation, loneliness, and encouraging our seniors to establish meaningful relationships and become involved. And through that, we also have a mental health counselor that is available for uh, seniors at no cost to them. That is fantastic. So I understand that there's a, this is for low income. So in other words, about 175% of the, uh, uh, I've forgotten the definition now, but for, uh, once poverty. You, yeah, for uh, the poverty level. So if you meet those requirements, uh, then these services are all free of charge. Yes, and it's not for low income. Uh, I, you know, that's not the only um, that that's not the only group that we serve. We serve all seniors. I uh-huh. want to make sure that everyone understands that we serve all seniors. But we also we launched because we saw a lot of low to moderate income seniors were not receiving the services. But our services are at no cost to all to all seniors. Seniors, it does not matter the. Um, the income level, et cetera. Uh, that's good to know because it's, uh, pe- people with uh, some means also suffer from isolation as well, for sure. So, uh, Absolutely. So uh, tell us about some of the programs uh, along with the uh, hot lunch and programs. So what types of services do you have? Do you have uh, lectures and uh, uh, education programs? Yes, we do have education programs. We do have uh, wellness activities. For example, we have a, a Zumba class. We have lectures. We have uh, members in the community that come out and, um, you know, present on various topics such as estate planning or health care uh, management or, you know, how to prevent falls, you know, a wide host of various activities um, and topics that are available to uh, seniors in the community. Um, Along with that, we have monthly birthday parties, we have cards and games, we have an art class, um, holiday parties, uh, various support groups, crafts, etc., you name it, we have it at the Senior Center. Oh, that's that's just very cool. So can can people just drop by and just kind of quote-unquote hang out if they're seniors and uh, just looking to interact with others? Absolutely. We are open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., um, we are here. Our staff is available, and we welcome anyone to just pop in. If um, you know, we're also doing tours. We have tours available. We'll be happy to show you around, uh, and also volunteer opportunities. If there's people that want to volunteer and give back, and um, you know, serve other people with whatever skills or talents they may have, we certainly are open to that. Uh, that is just really cool. So, uh, how many folks are you serving? So right now we're serving, we have over 1,400 members um, in our roster, and it continues to grow on a daily basis now that we are um, reopened, um, especially with being closed for a period of time due to the pandemic, we're seeing about 45 to 50 people per day. Uh, And so, you know, that number continues uh, to grow. But, of course, we are utilizing um, all good practices especially with what's going on with the pandemic so we do encourage people to come out and uh you know and have a good time with everyone absolutely so i i suppose the the message here is for uh people right now who are isolated and and don't necessarily have uh, interaction like they'd like this is a great resource for seniors i guess it's 16 over 
Yes, it is a wonderful resource, 60 and older. We encourage everyone, you know, to please partner with us, come out. You know, we we want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. Terrific But service. we encourage everybody to come out. Okay, Tatiana. So uh, is there a phone number or website that people could call? Yes, people can visit uh, callyourseniorresources.org or call 239 is the website. And callyourseniorresources.org is the website. So, Tatiana, I just yeah. gen- excuse me, go ahead. No, thank you so much, Bob, for allowing us to come on and share. I mean, we're here for our community, and we want to impact and improve the quality of lives of um, seniors in our community. Well, I think it's, I'm just very proud that Collier County has a resource like this. I think it's terrific that you're offering this, Tatiana. And again, uh, the Golden Gate Senior Center. Tatiana, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. My Have a pleasure. good one. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave was running his business. He has over 6,000 employees in over 30 states and executive management services. Unions uh, uh, ta- uh, approached him, SEIU, and said, hey, we want you to sign a neutrality agreement so we can go sign up your employees to become members of the union. He said, look, if you're going to unionize my shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. They didn't like that idea. They didn't go for it at all, and they decided to start playing dirty tricks and trying to persuade him through intimidation Well, it didn't work. It went on for two and a half years. He wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. And uh, I just encourage you to go to the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Dave's going to be on the show. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. 
get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for, your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Just one of the programs is creating policies and programs to help people get able-bodied folks get back to work, uh, off of welfare and back to work. You could visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Bego. As I mentioned before the break, he wrote the book called The Devil at a Doorstep about the travails of dealing with the dirty tricks of union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. He prevailed, wrote a book about it, The Devil at a Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. And the book should be a national bestseller, but the media won't push it because the unions control the media. Uh, it's so true, and uh, just so many examples of that, quite frankly, Dave. Uh, now, uh, it appears that apparently Biden came out and said, you know what, we're going to open the port uh, in, uh, long, in Los Angeles for 24-7. This is going to help solve this problem of the, uh, of the supply chain that we have. Of course, it's not. But uh, it turns out... Apparently, he's in bed with the unions, and uh, they're sabotaging the whole effort. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, uh, absolutely, they are. And, um, you know, and, and Biden, who is um, running the most pro-union administration in history, will admit that the longshoremen unions are holding the nation hostage and, um, and refusing to allow them to use automated equipment to unload container ships and get the goods onto the trucks. Um, and that's because they just want, Bob, it's real simple. What they want is they want to uh, control their people and control the businesses. And they want the people to work real slow so they work more hours. And uh, that way, um, you know, more hours got to be paid to them. And the union gets more union dues, too. And um, this isn't about um, the United States or the uh, union members of that. This is all about the union bosses and their pocketbook. Yeah, just think about it. Uh, the average union... Uh Dock worker makes one hundred seventy-six thousand dollars a year. I'm going to repeat yeah. that: one hundred seventy-six thousand dollars a year. And their uh, their workers have refused to uh, automate and provide the very best equipment available in order to help expedite the loading of these uh, unloading and loading of these uh, of uh, these transport vehicles. So this is just uh, this is just unconscionable. Uh, the the real problem uh, this problem could be solved overnight. Actually, if in fact we got uh, uh, some more truck drivers and and got some good equipment to handle the uh, the, the uh, cargo. Well, that's exactly right. But the real problem is the union's tooth and nail opposition is to labor saving equipment because they they don't want labor to be saved. They want more labor out there again because it's all about the dues money. Yeah, uh, unfortunate. So, Dave, any, any other good scoop going on in the uh, on the union front? Well, you know, the unions are really passing, you know, pushing uh, hard to get the PRO Act through, which will um, eliminate the secret ballot election for uh, uh, 
employees decide they want to be in the union, not go to card check like uh, what was pushed against us and the other cleaning companies across the country by the SCIU. And they're all trying to do this now. And um, they're also pushing Biden to uh, completely turn over the National Labor Relations uh, Board um, to make it all democratic so that uh, everything that's uh, pro-business is wiped out. Yeah. So why why do you think, why would uh, the union, for example, not agree to say, okay, we'll do it, we'll have a secret ballot to, uh, to uh, unionize executive management services? Why do you think they didn't want to uh, have, have a, an election or a, or a vote? Because they, they didn't want to take the chance of losing. It's real simple. And uh, they know that some companies will... Um, go out and uh, spend time with their employees and uh, tell them things. And, of course, they also say there's some employees, companies will go out and intimidate their employees that you better not vote for the union and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, they just uh, they want to win 100% of the time, Bob. It's just a shame. I mean, it seems to me that if their union had something to offer and uh, your your employees would want to sign up for the union and say, oh, boy, this would be great because we'll get some additional benefits and uh, they'll be good to go to bat for us. But that's not what they're saying. Employees don't see the value of unions. Well, the problem is they go out and they, they try and brainwash the employees and say, you know, and they speak out of both sides of their mouth. And they'll say, we'll give you this and do this for you. You don't have this. And you'll be able to do this. And you won't have to work as hard and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if they get uh, these people unionized, um, their their life is really, uh, all those things they promise really don't happen. It's true. And uh, so what's gonna, what do you think is going to happen with regard to this uh, uh, supply chain problem? Well, I think it's going to continue to go. And, um, you know, the... Um, um, on because I, I don't I don't think the unions will back off because uh, you know they don't like uh, China and, and other places and stuff like that um, because you got to remember one thing at one time the unions uh, are uh, manufacturing in this country went downhill because um, of the unions and uh, the manufacturing went to places like Mexico and China and the unions didn't like that at all and. Uh, they don't want to be in Mexico and China and other places around the country to be competitors. Uh, they want uh, all the work done here so that, uh, again, you got people that are members that uh, are paying dues money. Yeah, you know, it's, it seems to me that's at odds with the, basically the agenda of the uh, Biden administration. He seems to want to increase taxes and do things to chase business manufacturing out of the United States. Uh, and uh, it seems to me Trump's uh, point of view and uh, Trump, Trump's game plan was basically to lower taxes and make the United States an attractive place for businesses to come and do business. Uh, that would be more attractive for unions, I would think. Well, it would, except union, or Trump put a lot of things in places that uh, restricted the unions from doing some of these things, and he wouldn't go for the PRO Act, you know, card check, basically, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, um at the end of the day, Bob, the unions want to control us, and uh, their ultimate goal, and, you know, the, the the union we fought, the SEIU, they are huge in California. In fact, they, I believe they control California, and they control Biden because they're the biggest donors out there, and uh, they go after the people. And I know, um, you know, because there's one gal that read, out there that read my first book, The Devil at My Doorstep, and uh, she called her book, and um, she says... Uh, Unfortunately, because I work for the DMV out here, I'm a member of the SEIU, and they're not good people. 
and uh, they're controlling things out here. And she says, you know, I'm an immigrant from Egypt. I've been here for uh, 25 years, and I love this country. And the unions brought down Egypt. I don't want them to bring down America. Hmm. Uh, the unions brought down Egypt, huh? And uh, by the way, we should say that uh, some unions do a good job for their employees, especially trade unions, uh, carpenters unions, so forth. They do a good job for their employees and, and create a real value. Uh, SEIU, they're basically uh, not providing value. They don't necessarily increase uh, wages when they get into a, a business. Uh, wages pretty much stay the same. It's just that they collect dues, to your point, Dave, and then they just send them off to the Democrat Party. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, it's not just this. You know, a lot of the big unions, like the ACLU and and those, um, they're all in the same thing. And uh, But you're right. Uh, and I'm not anti-union because there are some good unions around that do good things. That uh, They actually do help protect employees for companies that... Uh, don't treat their employees very well, and um, you know, um, and you know, a lot of them are smaller unions that really uh, have the right things in mind, yeah. which is a good thing. So, Dave, do you think the uh, infrastructure package and everything this uh, what's what's uh, going on right now in Capitol Hill is it going to pass? Well, I think uh, yeah, the unions are pushing it because they've had some things push in in there. Uh, you know, and the PRO Act is in that. Actually, they're pushing the PRO Act and the Infrastructure Act, so they get it through instead of having the PRO Act have to be voted on in Congress. And, um, yeah, I think they're really going to uh, push it hard, and the unions uh, are, are going to be really hard behind it. And Because, uh, you know, I, I, and I've heard, too, that in the Infrastructure Act, there's a, a lot of money in there, uh, cash that will go to the unions. Wow. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I encourage you to read the book. You can't make the stuff up. It reads like a murder mystery, quite frankly, except there's no murder involved, just uh, some real shenanigans on the part of the uh, SEI union bosses against not only Dave, but against his customers, against uh, his uh, employees, against their families. You name it. They did seemingly nothing they wouldn't do in order to uh, get their way and get Dave to sign a neutrality agreement. The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dot com is the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Also, you can get a copy of the book at a nice discount on my website and, of course, at all book purveyors. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you and your listeners have a great weekend. You as well, Dave. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Just uh, things we didn't get to cover today, but I will mention that uh, Southwest Florida has put on a temporary restraining, restraining order on uh, service members uh, to ha get the vaccine order, the plaintiffs including a nursing mother and those claiming religious exemptions. So in other words, the federal class action lawsuit is filed against President Joe Biden, the U.S. Secretary of Department of Defense Lloyd Austin, and of course um, Alejandro Mayorkas on behalf of members of all five branches of the military. So people are fighting back on these, uh, on these uh, vaccine mandates. Also, Federal judge in Texas issued a restraining order to the United Airlines on Wednesday, blocking the airline from imposing a vaccine mandate. People are beginning to stand up, and uh, hopefully we'll see some resistance to this, uh, I think, unconstitutional behavior on the part of the President of the United States. Well, I hope you'll uh, join us on Monday. Uh, Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation will be talking about education uh, with Jonathan. 
Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.